Welcome to The Lucrative Society. I'm your host, Mindy Kniss. And I'm Sean Stevenson. Enjoy the show. Hey, my friend. Welcome to another episode of The Lucrative Society. Today, my favorite person on the planet is going to be our guest, the great one and only Mindy Kniss. Mindy, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for inviting me onto yeah, well, our program. Um, yep, there you go. <laughs> well, today I get to interview you, so you're my guest. So, Mindy, you know that the Lucrative Society is all about looking at that awesome intersection of wealth and happiness. So we're going to talk a lot about that today. And I want to know, just could you just share with our listener who may not know much about Mindy Kniss, like what is your wealth evolution from start when you were a little kid around money to today? There's been a lot of ups and downs. Uh, I would say some pretty, pretty big swings in that journey. I grew up in a fairly well-off neighborhood. It was the North Shore of Chicago. And I felt like a lot of uh, materialism surrounded me. A lot of people that I knew at school had certainly a lot more money than we did, my family. And they would get a brand new car on their 16th birthday and things like that. And I just thought, ugh, you know, I didn't, I didn't like that, probably because I was a little bit envious of that, but I, I kind of swung completely the opposite direction and went into things that were of service. I sponsored a lot of kids, even from when I was really young. I think maybe around 11 or 12 years old, I started sponsoring kids in other countries. And that led to lots of other types of volunteer work and eventually going to East Africa and working over there seeing the just immense poverty in various parts of the world. And when I started working in corporate America, that was a whole different situation. What was your first job? Like, when did you get your first dollar in life? Well, my first job was babysitting. I mean, that wasn't, you know, a real job, but I, I babysat a lot for friends of my parents or whomever, neighbors or whoever. And that was my first money I probably spent most of that on books. We would go to the local... Nothing's changed. (laughs) Right? We'd go to the local bookstore, and I would probably buy a lot of books, maybe some snacks or candy every now and again, but mostly books. So that, you know, I I didn't really have a lot of money, so that was never really a, a thing. And even all through college, working... At, bookstores. At working at a bookstore. <laughs> Again, spending probably more money than I made at that bookstore on books. So that, that didn't really serve me that well either, except for my knowledge. Then after that, I got kind of just a, a regular office job. And I still really didn't have any money. And then through a course of really interesting connection points, I ended up working for a pharmaceutical company. And this was a big Fortune 100 career. And I remember getting the letter that was my offer from that company. And I looked at the salary and I was like, what? <laughs> it was to me. I, I don't, rich, bitch. Yeah, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but I want to say it was, I don't know, maybe like forty or $50,000 something as a starting salary. And the whole 
idea that I was going to work in this position at that company was crazy from the get-go because my undergrad degree was in theology and everybody else at that company, at least in the position I was applying for, had some sort of biochemistry degree. I mean, they were a scientist. And then I come in as a (laughs) theologian and most of the people there were like, what is that? (laughs) You know, like, what are you doing here? So I had the wrong degree and to get that job, you needed three to five years of experience in the industry, which I also didn't have. So anyway, the whole job thing was crazy, but I very quickly got in there and was able to really excel at my job. And because of that, I got a lot of promotions and I got a lot of raises really quickly. In a few years, I was making upwards of $100,000. To me, that was out of control. I mean, it was just crazy. So I had a car and a house and all this stuff that I had never really even been able to do before, but suddenly it was, it was more accessible. I was able to pay off my student loans for undergrad. And I mean, it was just awesome. Then I get this crazy idea where I decided I would like to become an entrepreneur. And I had kind of ventured into some various businesses. My very first business I started myself was an editing business. I started it when I was living in Nairobi. Word Reverb. (laughs) Yeah, it was called Word Reverb, which I thought was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I don't think that anymore, but I thought it was pretty smart at the time. So I did a little editing work. I would help people with their resumes or I'd help them with papers or assignments, things like that. It didn't really go anywhere and didn't really do anything. So my next venture was, well, I'm going to become a coach. I had always been the type of person who people tended to trust, even at work. All kinds of people, especially sometimes people that I didn't know very well, they would come up to me and they'd be like, hey, you know, can I talk to you for a minute? And they would end up telling me their deep, dark secrets. And anyway, that was very interesting. But I thought, you know, I'm kind of already doing this for people. I... I, love leadership. So I was always in leadership type roles and I thought coaching would be awesome. So I think, hmm, okay, I'm a pretty good coach and I got my start while I was still working. Then I decided to just get crazy and move across the country and and leave that job after I'd been laid off from that company twice based on their downsizing and reorganizing and all of that stuff. So I move across the country. I am living off of the severance, I'm living off of my savings, and then I'm living off of my credit cards, (laughs) and then I'm living off of my 401k, and then I'm living off literally any change that I could find that day so I could afford to eat from the 99 cent menu. And yeah, you, you know, you joke living off the floor, but it wasn't, wasn't, however, I did have a futon. I will say this. I never actually had to sleep on the floor, but I was evicted from my apartment. My house that I owned at the time in Michigan was foreclosed. I moved into my small office that I was renting. So I had my office and my car. And the only reason I had the car was because it was paid off. That Otherwise, that probably would have been taken as well. And it was a really, really tough time. So that, would, I would say, was by far the lowest point in my, my wealth experience. And since then, over 
a good bit of time, many years, I have developed a much different view and a much different mindset around wealth, about money creation, about abundance, about worth, really. And that has made all the difference. I remember very specifically the first time in my coaching business when I made over $100,000 in a year, I was like, I'm done. Like, this is amazing. It was like so great. But what that set me up for is, okay, what's next? You know, where can we go from here? So it really has shifted so dramatically. So we talk about wealth. We also talk about happiness. What does happiness look like to Mindy? Happiness to me is, has a lot to do. And I would say for me, it's, there's a split. My greatest happiness is in the wilderness, in solitude, just out where the earth is allowed to be wild and we haven't tried to tame it with our cities and structures and all of that. And I'd probably bring a book. So that's, that's a lot of happiness to me. And then on the flip side of that, happiness is also being in, in relationship. And a lot of that is our marriage. We, both of us are very committed to making it fun and making it growth oriented and making it enjoyable. And what I, what I find the most happiness in with us is that we both, what we are called self-cleaning ovens. In other words, we do the work. Any relationship is difficult. Any relationship it takes effort, but you and I are committed to putting in that effort and that generates a lot of happiness. Absolutely. So as you know, on this program, we have this acronym called HERB, H-E-R-B, and we share this with every guest because we want to know their HERB, and I'm going to take you through it, and you tell me what you would share with our listener. So H stands for habits. So what are some of your habits that have developed your personal life as well as your professional life? I would say reading would be primary. I love books, as we've already alluded to. Uh, Reading to me is something that I has always been part of my life. My mom read to us when we were little from it, you know, as long as I can remember back, she was reading to us. And then we would read, like I would read myself and then I was the oldest of my siblings. So I would read to them and it was just always in our, our family and in our DNA really. So how did that fall off the the table for those other two? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think the two of them are, re- are much of readers. My siblings? No. <laughs> well, you know, my dad is not either the, uh, a huge reader. Those kids reader. learn how to read? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they know how to read. Um, yeah, I don't know. My mom and I are, are definitely uh, bigger book people in our family, but that it, it was just something that I, I clung to and resonated with so much. So that's a habit for me, and that has hugely influenced my my life, my work, my business, my beliefs, all kinds of stuff has been that. Another habit, and this one is much more recent, I used to feel like I did not like working out. I, I really, really just was like, I don't want to go to the gym, I don't want to have to deal with all this stuff, but more recently working out has almost become non-negotiable. A lot of that is because I have found a workout that I absolutely love to do. So that shifted my mindset a lot around that. But more and more now, that has become a habit that obviously contributes to 
health. It, it contributes to a clear mind and just oftentimes I'm also listening to an audiobook while I'm working out. So I kind of get to do both at the same time. So moving from the habits into the E for environment, what are some of the things that you allow in and keep out of your personal and professional environments? Well, what I allow in, and this drives you crazy, is clutter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I totally resonate with the guy who wrote the book Messy. And he talks about how it just contributes to creativity. And if I meet that guy, I'm going to punch him in the face. <laughs> You're not going to punch him in the face. I, you wouldn't uh, be able to reach no, his face. No, I would, I would say, sir, come here. I want to <laughs> just just stroke your cheek and say thank you, and then punch him right in the gut. <laughs> okay. Well, interestingly enough, my sister just recently, the other day, sent me a photo. And this photo was taken of when we were little. She and I shared a room. And you wouldn't even be able to get in there because there was just stuff over the whole floor. I, I remember when the two of you lived back at your parents and I saw the rooms and yeah, I, I have an idea. No, you don't because this was so much worse. Okay. <laughs> I looked at that picture and my first thought was, how did our mom let us get away with that? Like, yeah. why didn't we have to clean it up? I'm going to have to talk to Madeline. <laughs> but I think probably she was just so done with us. Like, if we could just at least contain it in our own room that she was willing to deal with that. But so I would say I have come a long way because our space doesn't look anything like that. Of course, because you literally wouldn't be able to enter the room if it did. But you know that I do allow that into my space. So that's your only suggestion? No, my keep other clutter and environment. I'm, you asked what I allowed in and that is something I allow in. The other things that I intentionally bring in, I like to have color. I really don't feel all that jazzed about just blah, meh, colors. That's very boring to me. So I like color. I like plants. I like living, real things. I also like, I'm really into craftsmanship. I don't like things that are just shoddily put together. I like when they're put together well or built well or they work how they're like it's efficient it, it works well so maybe that doesn't coincide great with the clutter aspect but I, I generally like really nice craftsmanship so moving from the environment to our resources this one you could spend hours on I understand that but by resources I mean books courses programs what has I know what you here? mean love <laughs> Well, I'm letting the, the listener know all the different ways that you could have resources. Resources I would recommend. One of my most recommended books is called The Millionaire Master Plan. It's by a guy named Roger Hamilton. And I recommend it so often because it doesn't just say, okay, if you want to learn how to make more money, do this. Because I don't think it's that easy. What he does is he breaks it into four different types of person. And I'll just give you two as an example. Sean is a blaze. That's a people person. He builds his business based on people, networks, connections, relationships. I myself am a dynamo. That's an idea person. 
I build my business through creativity, different ideas, stuff like that. And then he not only says, okay, this is the type of person that you are, but where are you currently in your wealth evolution? You take a little quiz, you can take it online, it's free. And he says, from that stage and for that type of person, here's the next three steps of what you need to do to get to the next level, which I really appreciate. It's simple, it's efficient, and it's great. So that would be my top resource in terms of books that I would recommend. What about from the personal side? Like that's business. Sure. Personal side, I have learned probably the most in terms of my my philosophy, my current belief system, my understanding of the world and the way that the world works from Louise Hay. She has lots, there's tons of programs through her publishing company, Hay House. And specifically, I'd recommend the book, You Can Heal Your Life. That just is a very, very powerful way of owning and taking responsibility for everything in your life. So that rounds us out with the B, which is beliefs. What are some of your core beliefs that make up mendicantness? You know, it's a great question because I have studied beliefs. That's what I studied in school was spirituality and just how people believe, what people believe, why people believe what they believe. And I'm fascinated with that topic. So for me personally... My beliefs are that everything is exactly the way that it needs to be, should be, and that ultimately I want it to be. If there's something going on in my life that I am not vibing with, I have to ask myself, okay, well, I was a co-creator in that. What is it that I want about that? Or how do I want to shift that? It's my responsibility. So you talk a lot about this, Sean. Cause is greater than effect. I would, the way I would say that is, you know, it's always my choice. Choice is, is primary to me. And I believe that we can also create our own reality, which is a lot of fun. I've had to learn that over the years, but it is, it's a blast when you get into the flow. So those would be some of the, the top beliefs that I hold. So before we finish this out, I want to know, what is your definition of wealth? Yeah, I love this. And you know, I like to geek out on words and etymology and things like that. So as I was studying money and studying wealth, I ended up looking up the word wealth to see, you know, where does that word even come from? And it comes from Middle English, from a word spelled W-E-L-E. And what that means or what that meant is well-being. And I love that definition because it's not necessarily about money. In today's society, money is part of well-being because it it contributes to a lifestyle that you can have healthy organic food and you can, you know, maybe pay a trainer or go to a gym or, or just even have adventures in the wilderness with the right gear and equipment. But it's overall well-being. So to me, that's what I love about this conversation about wealth and happiness to me, it's, it's one and the same because both contribute to your well-being. So to me, that's what wealth means. I think that there is so much more that we could cover around your beliefs alone. And that's why I encourage people that 
want to learn more about you, to investigate you, what's the best place that somebody could go to learn more about you? Sure. They can go to my website at mindykinnis.com. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the program, Mindy. Thanks for interviewing me, Sean. Hey, anytime. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure and subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes and leave a review of the podcast. For more information on our programs, visit our website at lucra.com. That's L-U-C-R-A dot com.